0: And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Heavenly Father, we, as we come before you this morning, we do praise you. We thank you for who you are and for who your son is. We thank you for sending him We thank You that He came out of love, to demonstrate Your love for us. We praise You. We thank You for this time that You've given us together, and how You've prepared us to hear Your Word this morning, so I pray that You would remove distractions. Help us to focus, help us to hear what you would have for us, that we might receive it and walk in it. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.
1: Amen. Well, good morning, church, Man, thank you for coming this morning just to worship our Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you one thing really quick. We are starting a brand new series on the book of Hebrews. And um, if you've studied the book of Hebrews at all, you know that it's the deep end of the pool, right? It's going to be meaty. It's going to be heavy in a lot of different ways. And so um, if you want, there are some booklets out there um, that kind of tell you a little bit more where you can study it throughout the week. And also in there, there's actually a page for sermon notes that's bigger than the back of your bulletin. And if you know me very well, I'm going to start talking really fast. So if you want one of those, you can just raise your hand. A couple of guys are running around, kind of giving those out to help people um, take some notes. But i encourage you to study it throughout the week, dive in deeper kind of as we go. So just keep your hands up. They'll kind of keep moving around um, as we go. Huh? No, it's still on. I'm just looking at y'all. I really, really feel like a teacher now, right? Like, yes, what would you like to say? Yes, what was the answer? No. Because um, we are, as we dive into the book of Hebrews, we're going to kind of treat it like a class, right? And I know some of y'all might have come in today and been ready to walk right back out again, um, because you're like, there's a lot of math up there, All right? There's a lot of geometry up on there, so maybe it uh, might be causes of flashbacks. Don't worry, there's no pop quizzes in the book. All right? Um, but there's pop quizzes in life, so that's what we're going to prepare you for today. I'm popping pretty bad, aren't I? <laughs> Do y'all hear that? i see how it is with my microphone and what's going on, but Dustin will figure out in a second. Um, so let me give you a little bit um, of an overview of what we're going to be doing. The first half of the sermon is going to kind of be an overview of what we're going to be doing through the book of Hebrews. Then the second half we're going to dive into these first three verses and really see what um, God has for us and, and what Jesus, being the Son of God, really means. All right. So we're in Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, you could turn there in your word with me um, as we go, but I want to give you a general theme for the book. Okay, if you were to take the book of Hebrews and and sum it up um, right now, then this is the summary statement for our book that we're going to use all the way through. All right, Jesus is greater and higher, and through faith in Him we can change the world. All right, Jesus is greater and higher. And through faith in him, we can uh, change the world. And so that's going to be kind of our theme. We're going to see that play out through the book. Because our goal is to prove that Jesus is better. And so let me give you a little bit of the setting of the book, right? Hebrews was written around 65 A.D., right? Thirty-so years after Christ died and was resurrected from the grave. How do we know that? Well, in 95 A.D., Clement... One of the early church fathers quoted the book of Hebrews um, in his writing. So we know that it was before that date. But we also know from some of the internal clues um, that Timothy's still alive. We also know that the sacrificial system is still in place. So that means that it was before 70 A.D. And that's kind of how they've gotten this date of 65 A.D. for this writing. Now, we don't know who the author is of the book of Hebrews. Um, Everybody has an opinion on it. Some people think it is Paul because there's a lot of Pauline-type theology woven in throughout the book of Hebrews. Um, But there's some other clues in there that it might not be Paul as you go through it. In fact, it's inside of your weekly lesson that you're going to dive into some some of the proofs of who the author might be. Maybe it's Luke. Luke was a prolific writer, right? The book of Luke, the book of Acts, and so on and so forth. Maybe it was Apollos or Barnabas or or somebody else that was that um, person. So um, let me change mics real quick here. Talk amongst yourselves. All right, how's that, Dustin? If not, I'll bring out my teacher voice, and we'll just go with that, and I'll just yell it out there. Is that better? No popping? All right. Awesome. I don't know why when I think popping, I think of break dancers, but that's okay. That's because I grew up in the 80s. All right. Um, so in our setting, we have a couple different purposes of this book, right? The main purpose of this book, that was not me that time. It was not me. That was you. That was That was something. Um, I can use the handheld if we need to, um, but um, we see. Test. Okay. Not working? If this one pops, it's definitely your fault, all right? Um, so. Um, As we look at the setting, there's a couple different purposes in this book. The number one purpose in this book is that this author is writing a systematic proof to the Hebrews that are kind of on the fence. Is Jesus really the Messiah? So the primary purpose of this book is to show that Jesus was the son of God. Now, Jesus had already given them evidence through his healings and through his death and resurrection. But many, many Hebrews were still caught in the the religion of their fathers, right? They're caught up in that. Now, there is a secondary reason for this book. As the evidence for Jesus is put forth, it also strengthens those that already have faith in Christ, Because what was happening inside of the church in these early years was that these people who had grown up in Judaism, which was everything was permeated through this lens in their life, that they had this desire to kind of go back into that religion that they were in before. So they believed in Jesus, but they also wanted to make a sacrifice for their sins in the temple or they believed in Jesus but they also wanted to have ceremonial washings or they also wanted to bring up these other topics and kind of blend Judaism in with Christianity. And they were creating sort of a, a new religion that was both Jesus and works. We rely on Christ alone. Why right? is by grace you've been saved through faith? Not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. Right, so it's not about Jesus and works but this group of people are having this tendency to go back into their old lifestyle, which is true, isn't it? When you accept Jesus Christ, don't you feel that pull back to your old lifestyle? And in fact, don't we kind of like works because it makes us feel better about ourselves? It's hard to rely on Christ alone. It's hard to see this as being truly a gift, only Jesus. not Jesus doesn't need our help. He's given us eternal life. Praise the Lord. And so that's what this book is primarily going to be about, right? So what is the mood of the book? Well, the mood of the book is this logical evidence for Christ the Savior. So the mood of the book is going to be evidence after evidence after evidence. And we're going to talk about what that evidence is going to take the form of here in a second. But it's going to be a very logical proof. Now, that said, I love it because I'm a logic-brain person. My beautiful wife, Tara, she's just a simple faith gal. She's like, yes, I believe in Jesus. I'm like, well, why, how, when, where? She's like, I just believe, right? She just believes. She has this intense faith and belief in God. And that's amazing. I need more. I'm a skeptic, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a brain working it out, figuring out kind of person, the spaghetti brain, right? It's just everywhere all the time. So that, that's the way. So what the book of Hebrews is, is this sort of logical evidence laid out uh, before. So the question might be that you might be thinking, well, okay, why? Like, I have that simple faith. Well, why is the book of Hebrews important? Well, the idea of this book is to fill in the details of your faith. To know it's, give you the whys and the house. For example, I want to show you a picture. How many of you all like to color? Anybody? How many of you are doodling right now? It's okay. Give me an honest. All right? Got a big page. I, I love coloring books. I love getting out at Christmas times an excuse to, to color. But take this picture, right? It's it's cool. It's got a lot of lines, but when you add color to it, when you fill in the details, it just comes to life even more. It emphasizes things even more in your life when there's color. So the book of Hebrews is designed to fill in the gaps, right? Or maybe another way to describe it is that we we want this to be sort of doctrinal buoys for your faith, right? A doctrinal buoy for why Jesus. Is better now. If you're not around boats very much, you may not know what a buoy is, right? A buoy is one of those kind of balloon-looking things, right? That's out there in the ocean. It's it's chained or it's anchored to the ground, anchored to the seafloor, and it's there. And so when you drive your boat up, you can hook up to the buoy, and it creates like an anchor. For you, When we went to Hawaii, Hawaii, you know, beautiful landscape, they would not allow any buoys above the water. So all the buoys were 10, 12 feet below the water. So you'd have to kind of drive your boat around, look through the super clear water and go, oh, there's a buoy. And dive in, hook up your boat to the buoy, and then it would stay stable while you went to snorkel or do something like that. Do you have an anchor for your faith? Do you have a buoy... Something that you can hook to to remain steady and not let doubt and the waves of the sea toss you back and forth. That's what the book of Hebrews is designed for. Like a perfect example of this would be us at Christmas. My family had an example at Christmas. We went to Katy to go be with our family there. And while we were there, my girls had this conversation with one of their friends. And it kind of got chippy. Have you ever been in a conversation about Jesus and it got chippy? Like I got a little testy, and and they were they were like, Jesus doesn't care about my sin. Se- I can drink, I can have sex, I can do anything that I want to do. It's fine. Jesus doesn't care about that. And my girl's like, No, he does. He cares about that. But they didn't feel like they knew why. So then they came and they talked to dad, right? And I was like, Oh, here's why. And I'm like, Let me let me at him, right? Because I'm like, Here's the scripture about that. Oh, that's wrong. That's out of context, right? That because that's my. Attitude, So you need both that gentle faith and you need some of those skeptics around, but not all skeptics because then we tear each other apart. But anyway, all right, I wanted to jump in. And so I was like, well, here are some fundamental things to answer that with. And that's what this is designed to be. It's a buoy. Oh, they say, I can just do whatever I want to. God doesn't really care. Oh, let me clip up to this. Let me tell you about how God spoke to us through the prophets. Let me talk to you about the way that God has designed our bodies and our life to honor him. It's not about me, it's about him. And so creating some of these buoys that they can kind of hook your life up to to assure you that your faith is real and it's based on something that is concrete and has evidence. But finally, here's a statement I wrote down that kind of sums up this idea for us, all right? It says this, let Hebrews fill in the beauty of Christ and to encourage us to defend Jesus with gentleness and respect. Right? So we want to see the beauty of Christ and God's design, but also have a way to make a defense to those that we come into contact with, but with gentleness and respect. That comes from 1 Peter chapter 3. Turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 3, look what it says. Verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Nor be troubled. How many of us would like to live with no fear? No fear of judgment. No fear of other people, what they say about us. Woo, that would be so good. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Winning the argument may not win their heart. Make sense? So we want to win their heart. For Christ, so we want to make it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It's a good word. It's better to be have a good conscience and have other people say bad about you, than it is to defend yourself and win. All for the sake of winning people's hearts for Christ. So this is what we're going to do as we go through the book of Hebrews. Now you might notice, kind of looks like a chalkboard back there. I'm wearing my first day of school attire, okay. When I was a teacher, every first day of school, um, and some of y'all know because some of y'all were in my classes, right. Um, I would wear a Hawaiian shirt because I taught math. I taught algebra and geometry, all right. Now how many of y'all are big fans of algebra and geometry? Okay, awesome. That means you go home, you got pop quizzes at home. You're like, when you're bored, you don't turn on the TV. You get out math, Saxon math book. I'm just going to work through it a little bit get it done, right? Um, but I love math. I just think it's amazing, the logic, the, all the things, right? But most kids don't. The kids that came to my class did not like math. They wanted nothing to do with it. But I was out there like, hey, welcome. Hey, I got some Laffy Taffy for you. I mean, we just had I try to make it as fun as possible because it can be fun to do hard things, right? So that's what we're going to do. It's going to be fun to study the book of Hebrews, but you can't learn it all here on Sunday morning. That's why you have that book because as we dive in, right, we only have 35 minutes, 40 minutes together on Sunday morning. You're going to have to dive in deeper. We're going to do more than three verses in these next weeks coming forward, right? So you're going to have to just dive in throughout the week and sort of get that um, immersed into those different things um, with the Lord. It's sort of like this, I don't know how many times maybe you've had this question or I've been asked this question many times and they say, well, I just want God to speak to me. I want the spirit to lead me in my life. How can I get God to speak to me? And I'll tell him this. i say, go home and read your word every day. And people leave sad. They leave sad. They're like, you mean he's not going to send me a billboard? You mean he's not going to send me like an email, text message? He did, all right. But we got to read it. We got to do it. Here's why. Let me give you an analogy for that. If you were to, to say, hey, Chris, I want you to build me a house, first of all, That's your first mistake, all right? Ask Eric to help you build a house. Don't ask me. But he's like, I want to help build a house. Awesome. Yes, Jared, I'll build a house for you. Did you bring any bricks? He's like, nope. Okay, Jared. uh, Did you bring any wood? Nope. "Um, Okay, but you want me to build your house? Yes. With what? And this is what we're like. I want God to speak to me. But we haven't read the word. We don't know any of the books. He might say, I want you to be more like Mary and less like Martha. And you're like, Martha Stewart? I'm not going to still Mary who? But then if you know the word, right, you know Jesus talks about this parable with Mary sitting at his feet and Martha being so big. If you know the word and when God speaks to you, he's able to use the ingredients that you've put into your heart and put into your mind to speak to you. Now, listen, this word is beautiful. It's, it's unique. It's, it's incredible. We have to take our time to study it. We have to take our time to be in it because God has spoken to us. Look what it says here in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to read these three verses that Josh read again. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, and after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Woo, it's good stuff, right? So let's go back. Verse one, let's break it down. It says this, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. Here's the first thing. Do you believe that God speaks to us? Do we believe that God has spoken, is speaking, and will speak to us through his word, right? Now listen, a lot of people in the world out there would reject that idea. There's two major ways they would reject it. The first one is they would say, God doesn't speak to you. Because people have used it in a way like, uh, that's, that's self-serving. They'll say, God doesn't speak individually. Yeah, maybe he created things. And maybe you can learn a little bit about him through studying science or studying other things. But you can't really know God because he doesn't speak that way. That's one error people make out in the world. The other error that people make is that they say, well, God speaks in everything. That feeling that I have. It just It's telling me to do something. It, it could be Taco Bell. Okay, it could be. That feeling that you have. Everything is from God. And we have this tendency to worship everything which leads us off the path. But here's what God is saying. God spoke through the prophets. That God spoke in a very specific way to us through the prophets and then through his son, Jesus. So God has something to say to us. We have to know what he says. Now... There's two errors that we make in the church when we talk about God speaking, right? One of them is this, oh, God speaks to us? That's nice. That's kind of like this Southern way of saying, bless your heart, right? It's like, oh, yeah, God spoke. Mm, Okay. Or do we have the attitude, God spoke to us? What did he say? Is there a hunger and a thirst in us to know what God has said, what God has done, how he has spoken, to actually want those things, to want the truth of the scripture to us? That's what we have to just check. What is our attitude with this idea that God spoke? You realize that these prophets, right, it says that God spoke to the fathers through the prophets. You realize that, and it talks about this, it's in um, 2 Peter 1:21. It says that no prophecy came from the will of man, but each one was carried along by the Holy Spirit. That when when the prophets spoke, it wasn't their words they were declaring. They were carried along by God and spoke through the Holy Spirit to us. This is the scripture that we have. It's not just words on a page. It's God breathed. That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. All scripture is God breathed. God breathed it out through his prophets and through his son to teach us and reveal himself to us. And it's useful for teaching and correction and reproof and and all these things to make us more like his son, Jesus. And in fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we're going to get to that verse later on. It says, the word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow. God is going to use the word to divide things in your life, to pierce those deepest, darkest parts of our life. And don't we want him to do that? Do you really want to live with darkness in your heart? This is one of the reasons we maybe don't read the word, because it just gets in there. It just wiggles its way to the deepest, darkest parts of us. And when the light comes in, the darkness leaves. But sometimes we love the darkness. We have to want to step into the light. And this is what the word is going to do. It's going to push us into more and more. Why is that important to us? Because, guys, we are his ambassadors. God has made his appeal through the prophets and then through his son. And now he's made it through us. God making his appeal through us as his ambassadors. This is why this is so important for us to dive in and really dig deep and to study these different things. Here it says in verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Okay, so let's think geometry real quick, okay? we got all of our, you know, angles and thetas and deltas and fun stuff like that. But you remember, you remember the T-chart proofs you had to do in geometry? Anybody remember that? Worst part of geometry, Totally. Right, you had to do this proof, right? But in those proofs, you would have a given. You're given this thing: triangle ABC is a right triangle. Prove that sine is opposite over hypotenuse, and da da da. Right? You'd have this proof. Then you have to go through these steps to prove based upon theorems and postulates and definitions and and all those sorts of different things, right? So we're going to do the same thing with the Book of Hebrews. We are given the words of the prophets. We're given the Old Testament. And we have to prove that Jesus is the son of God. So that's where we're going on this trip. You're given the Old Testament. If you only had the Old Testament, could you prove that Jesus was the son of God? That's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to study over the next 20 weeks. Here's how we could prove that Jesus is better. He's greater. He's the man. That's what we're trying to prove over this time. All right. So notice it says this, but in these last days. Now when you hear this term last days, we typically think quantity. Like, ooh, how long until Jesus returns? That's what we tend to think of. But this term last days is probably pointing us more to the nature of the last days. What is the nature of the last days? There should be some urgencies. There should be some ways that we live our life that are different. If you knew your last day, would you live differently? If you knew when it was coming, you would live differently. So that's the same thing with us. Christ is going to return. We should live differently in him. So this last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And then he's going to give us this sevenfold definition of what it means for him to be the son of God. What does that mean for him to be the son? All right, let's look at it. He gives us this in verse 3. He is the radiance of Of the glory, oh, sorry, I went to the wrong verse, whom he appointed as the heir of all things. So here's the first thing there's seven of these things that he's going to describe Christ as. Number one, he is the heir of all things. So, what is an heir? It's someone that has the inheritance, right? That what the Father has created, the Son is going to inherit and be able to rule over, right? There's a great verse in Psalm chapter two, all right? Let's go there. Psalm chapter two, verse eight. And it says this, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So he's talking about Christ having the nations as his inheritance. Now, listen, over this series, I give you permission to doubt, to doubt me. In other words, what is the context of this verse in Psalm chapter 2, verse 8? Is that really talking about Jesus or is this like a quote about Jacob or Abraham? In other words, I want you to look this stuff up with me. Let, let's be Bereans and really look at these things. So let's go back into Psalm 2 and let's read the whole chapter so we get context to see. Is this verse about him getting to be, have the nations as a heritage, is it really talking about Jesus? Well, let's go back into verse 1. Chapter two, verse one of Psalms. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So that this is their desire, the the nations to break apart God and his anointed one. He who sits in the heavens laughs. (laughs) <laughs> I love that verse, right? Everybody down here, you're plotting, you're like, and God's looking at them like, <laughs> y'all are cute. Making a tower that we could go to me. Oh, y'all are so cute, right? Y'all, y'all just think you can do that, right? But he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And I will tell of the decree the Lord has said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Who's that talking about? Who is the one begotten son? Jesus, right? And then he says this in verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like the potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and perish you perish in your way, for the wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So this is about Jesus, the coming Son, who we need to embrace in order to have eternal life in Him. This is what it means for Him to be the heir of all things; that all things have been given to Him. What it says next. And he is also, he created the world. That Jesus is a part of creation. Remember John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with him in the beginning. But verse 3 in that chapter actually talks about how all things were created through Christ. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. That Jesus was the active part of creation. So he's not only the heir but he's also the creator then it says this and and he is the radiance of the glory of God he's the light of the world that he is the light that shines upon us do you remember what happened to Moses when he left the glory of God his face was shining so much so that he had to put a veil over his face All right so are we that way and when we behold Jesus That we go out shining, being the light into the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That Jesus is the exact imprint of God. And this is the imprint we strive to be like. Let's go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. We see Paul talking about this similar um, idea of image in these verses. Verse 4 in chapter 4, says this. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The world has been blinded. For what we, have, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness... Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God to the face, in the face of Jesus Christ. That we are called to be that light, to go out into the world to proclaim the glory of God. It reminds me of um, that story in Luke uh, chapter 20. Do you remember that story of the tenants? The wicked tenants in in that story where um, the the owner had gone away and given his vineyard to these tenants. And he sent back his servants in order to get money from them. And they refused and they started beating them up and they started killing the servants, right? And then he sent his only son to go back and collect. And they said, oh, this is the heir. Let's kill him also. And then it says, what would the owner of that vineyard do after they've killed his son? come back and kick out those tenants and give it to someone else, right? And it was this parable talking about, guys, if we are going to be the light of the world, don't expect everyone out there to just love you. You're the light going into the darkness, right? You're the light. They're not always going to love you out there, but it's good to be the light. You, you give hope. You give opportunity. You give someone else. And, and they've just been, some people have been so caught in darkness, they don't even know that there's a love that's different out there. We get to be that for them if we go out into the world and act like Jesus. He is the exact imprint. So he's not only an heir, he's a the creator, the, the radiance of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. And it says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This word uphold is the word Pharaoh, which is kind of like the Pharaoh from the Old Testament, but it's Greek, so it's different. Um, but this word uphold is this active Kind of voice, present, participle meaning that it's something that God is doing constantly. He's upholding the universe. That Jesus not only, he didn't spin the world like a globe chart and be like, well, that's easy. I'll sit back and watch all the things happen. Do we have a God who's passive and sits back and watches us in our suffering? Or do we have a God who stepped into it and suffered in every way possible, even to the point of death? Why would he die? Well, because look what it says next. After making purification for our sins. Do you realize Jesus died for you? That we couldn't do it on our own. That we needed a savior. And Christ came, the perfect, unspotted lamb to die for us. And he didn't just die for us. He rose again. Right? To give us eternal life in him. That's the good news He was the atoning sacrifice to pay for our sin. And we're going to dive into that really deep through the book of Hebrews. But then it says this, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, right? What Matthew 28, 18 says. You realize that Jesus went and it is finished. He sat down. Right, you've heard that term right-hand man. Did you realize that was a biblical term? That Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. He's got direct access to the Father, and it is done. It is finished. And that's the good news of the gospel. All of that is wrapped up in Jesus. He is greater than anything you could possibly imagine. And that's where we're going to spend 20 weeks diving in to just how great Jesus is, and we're going to put him up against Moses and the high priest and against these different things. And in every case, we're going to see the glory of God and the glory of Jesus Christ being better. So I hope you'll stay around. I hope you're going to study on your way through. Spend some time in Hebrews this week and get ready because it's going to be a fun ride as we keep going through. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are such an amazing God. Lord, what what a gift it is. To have eternal life in you through Jesus Christ, oh Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. So Lord, we just praise you. Lord, as we go through the book of Hebrews, I pray that you'll keep us as a steady anchor on, just attached to you, Lord. That you'll keep us steady as the world tries to throw us around and, and trip us up, Lord. I pray that you'll give us um, a sense of your design and your purpose as we walk through the book of Hebrews. Lord, your name is greater. And we proclaim that. We proclaim only Jesus. So Lord, help us as we walk into a world as ambassadors for you. We pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.
2: Amen. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Church, I just have a few announcements as you make your way out. I want to remind those who are a part of Refuge that you'll begin meeting this Wednesday. Yeah? I, I guess they haven't woken up yet. Uh, the, the teenagers, they'll come at third service. Yes, yes. Uh, but... Path groups will not begin until next week, so beginning next Sunday, uh, path groups will begin. Therefore, we will not have children's ministry taking place this week, and there are a few spots still available for the women's retreat that's coming up. You can go online to sign up for that. If you are in a path group and you're following the uh, Hebrew sermon guide, there are some study guides that are left out in the foyer, so please grab one. For your path group and this is the closing verse as you make your way out it's from colossians 1:16. for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him god bless y'all